Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show. Um, it was your fault. It actually was not. It was your fault. No, the, the that we didn't record on Monday in delay was was my fault. That we didn't record on Sunday, that was your fault. How was it my fault that we didn't record on Sunday? Because we couldn't watch the race until late because you were doing stuff. I cannot help it you, if I have a life. You were doing stuff. I wrapped up doing stuff earlier in the day. Yes, and then we had to watch the race and Grand Prix Sunday. And then we both had Monday mostly off. And so we said, oh, no problem. We'll record on Monday. But we went to Costco. That was the problem. <laughs> and then I had to lay down because we went to Costco. Let's see. And the so, problem is you going to Costco when you're hungry is never a good thing. Okay. So just because we end up coming out with a six-month supply of potato chips, that's not necessarily my fault. I don't eat potato chips. That makes it entirely your fault. Well, I we we also bought a six month supply of chocolate covered raisins that I've noticed in the last week is already down by fifty percent. It is not a six, six months six month supply. It chocolate. is not a six month by a whose standard? By most normal people's. <laughs> well, here's the problem. One. I had never had them before and did not know how... You have never had chocolate-covered raisins before? Who are you? The Costco chocolate-covered raisins I'd never had before. I mean, they're they're raisinettes. They're giant raisinettes. They got better quality raisins in the middle of the raisinettes. Okay, I I, I could give you that, yeah. I mean, these are like quarter-sized raisinettes. Dime. Thick dimes. (laughs) Um... So one, I'd never had Costco's chocolate covered raisins before. And two, I may or may not have a problem that I'm trying to go through a 12-step program on now. But three, that was not a six-month supply. Even if I didn't like them, you would have gone through them in a month. No, they would have lasted longer than that. Well. At least 90 days. No. No. Okay, so anyway. So now that we've discussed our Costco problem. But but we do have a show this week. Obviously. After, we're doing it now. After two races that we have not seen on, well, one we haven't seen on a calendar ever. And honestly, I think it was really good. Well, we've had two really good races. And I worried about this one today a lot. I've spent the last week in a tizzy about it. Because we have been hyping that we should return to Emila mm-hmm. since, oh, basically we started watching Formula One. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, you know, we start hearing the track is kind of narrow and we don't think that there'll be much passing. And then, the, and then we saw the pictures of Emila and it's gorgeous. Yes. And then we were like, we really want this to be a good race. And then they start talking again about passing and how narrow the track is and that it has never had a DRS zone before and they've only got one and I started really worrying I really was scared that we were going to have a Monaco kind of race and that's why Emma like fell off the calendar and quite frankly we didn't and we thought it was good we didn't um 
I thought Portugal was better. I thought Portimao was was a much better race. And I think once the teams learn more about this track, it will end up becoming fairly processional if they don't make some changes. And I think there are some changes that the track does need, whether that's some wider turning areas to, to allow more side-by-side racing through some of these turns or rethinking that DRS zone as much as I know a lot of folks don't like DRS. Um, rethinking that DRS zone is probably going to be a need. But that said, I think this race is better than several of the last couple of races in Monza. It's definitely better than anything that Paul Ricard's thrown at us. Well, there's that too. I mean, but honestly, Portimao and Emila and some of these other like emergency and, races. And Portimao I thought was fantastic. I wouldn't give it fantastic, but it was really good. It was really good. And that's another one that visually that up and down those in-car shots, that really was fantastic. Well, the when they did the in-car and took you around the lap and I got like actually roller coaster ill (laughs) um yeah that was that was interesting but what i'm saying is one of the things that as we look back and do the annual review of 2020 and we stop talking about how much 2020 has sucked Mm -hmm. and has been awful one of the things for f1 that i think that smart f1 people should be looking at was the 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 unknown variable that got thrown into the calendar by having to pick up and say we're going to go to tracks we've never been to or haven't been to in a really long time because they're a1 certified and we can get in there and we can get a race done and and i think that that has opened up a tracks that i don't think would make it on a permanent calendar uh, tracks that probably shouldn't be year after year after year, but an occasional experience, I think, is an off-the-charts thing. It, it it shakes everybody up a little bit. They don't have a lot of the data. They, yeah. it, it changed the very feel of it. The other thing that I think that they could have learned from Emma specifically was that was a two-day race weekend. They didn't have Friday practice to figure out the tires. They had to make some game day ass- adjustments. They had to learn as they went. Yeah, and but but that's honestly, I, I'm I'm not as keen on that idea. Um, not the least of which is I think the last thing that Formula One should be looking at is reducing the amount of time that cars are spend on the track on a race weekend. I think that's a really bad. I mean, I get the idea of depriving them of data and the value that comes with that and the unpredictability that comes with that. Um, I, honestly, I think coming from through Imola, it doesn't have as much of an impact as, as folks think it does. Um, yeah, there was a lot of talk how Nurburgring, it, it appeared to have more of an impact. I don't think it actually does. Um, and, and I don't think it's healthy for Formula One, even for practice sessions, for them to be looking to, for ways to 
reduce the amount of time that the cars are on the track for a race weekend. I think that's bad. But I do think that, again, for now the third race in a row and hopefully the fourth race in a row, there's going to be a very strong argument for this invitational circuit idea of going to one of these grade one certified tracks that Formula One doesn't normally get to go to and throw it in there as a wild card event. Mm-hmm. I, th- I think that that's an awesome idea. Um, and <clears throat> honestly, and Lewis said it in one of the interviews, I don't understand why they don't build tracks like this anymore. The, that track and Portimao are mm-hmm. so beautiful. They remind you of the feeling you get when you look at a spa. You know, that that track in the middle of something of a park of a of scenery that's gorgeous you know it it makes me wonder and and i don't know the answer to this so you know imola has been around for a long time Mm -hmm. imola is another classic track that's been around since at least the 50s portimao is fairly new portimao was built i don't think it was for it was before one of the eco- the recent economic crashes. Um, I think it's older than 2008, but I don't remember. It may, may have been built in, in the late 90s. Mm-hmm. But it was, it was built... It, the timing around the opening of that track was really bad. But it's a modern track. It's a track that was built in the time that Herman Tilke was building Tilke drums. Mm-hmm. So it's possible in a modern time to build an engaging and interesting track because Portimao's proof of that. It's just not Tilki tracks. And I don't know if this is a Tilki track. No, I don't, I don't think know it who, is. I don't know who built this one. Wouldn't it be awesome who if it was Wurtz? Yeah. Wouldn't it be awesome? <laughs> yeah, I don't, I don't think, I don't it think is. this is Alex's track either. I'm not sure if Alex has built any grade one tracks. That's a that's a thing we should find out. Okay. Anyway, we have a lot of things to go through because you didn't record last week. And thus, we need to get going, but we have to go back in time to catch up. Yeah, you know, we have to actually go back to our last show because if you remember, we had talked about, you know, Lance Stroll had just missed the Eiffel Grand Prix, not the German Grand Prix, the Eiffel Grand Prix in Germany. Mm-hmm. Um he had just missed the Eiffel Grand Prix and Racing Point assured us that this was not COVID. Remember, Atmar said that he was having gastrointestinal distress. Correct. With graphic detail. Yes. But we're t- this week we are going with gastrointestinal distress. <laughs> well, apparently, while we were recording, or yeah, about the time that we were recording... Lance was on a plane, flew to his home in Switzerland, where upon arrival, they administered a COVID test, and surprise, he had COVID. But he couldn't have had COVID. He had gastrointestinal distress. So, and this is, I finally got the chance to, to listen the other day to um, the, F, the, the BBC's coverage going into... Oh, they were hot. They were hot, but actually, if you listen to them and you really listen to to their retelling of all of the different conversations that happened, Racing Point's story around what happened and what was diagnosed and what the symptoms were Mm 
mm-hmm. depended on who they spoke to. Exactly. In the same weekend, mm-hmm. it depended on who they spoke to. And to be clear, while Otmar insisted that um, Lance didn't have COVID, he just wasn't feeling well. That he just wasn't feeling well. It turns out they hadn't administered a COVID test going into the weekend. Well, see, that just proves that you can reduce the number of COVID cases by changing the testing. Yeah. Sorry. And <laughs> they they insisted that, well, you know, going into the weekend bef- before this had had a significant impact, that there was a string of negative tests and they just went with, well, there were negative tests, so we didn't do any other testing. But see, this is the part that I don't understand. <laughs> Only this one part? <laughs> well, okay. Because there's more than that. Well, in the grand scheme of the, the parts that I don't understand. So my understanding is that part of the F1 protocol for COVID mm-hmm. is that everybody gets tested like all the time. That's what we were originally told. And so, you know, they had to get tested to get on the track. They had to get tested every day through that process. But is it? It's, I think it's up to the teams to actually administer the testing. Well... The way I think they got around it was Lance isn't feeling well. Stay in your motor home. Don't come to the track. And by not coming to the track, he didn't get tested and they didn't bother to issue a test. Exactly. But apparently, and, and in listening to, to Andy Benson talk about his conversations, both the weekend in Germany and in Portugal, it was... It was bizarre. So from what Andy was saying, Otmar was telling at least some group of journalists in Germany that Lance had gastrointestinal distress, that there was sinus issues, there was sinus congestion, and there was a fever. Interesting. Some journalists got told this in Germany. However, in Portugal... Otmar said, oh, it was just gastrointestinal distress, so we didn't think that there was an issue. And Andy stood up and said, but wait a minute. You told us that. You told me this. I have you on record. And Otmar goes, oh, I must have been mistaken. Oh, my word. That's part of the problem here. Okay, so not to rehash all of the things that made the BBC reporters angry (laughs) or all of the other offshoots of this because I mean you can go down about 14 rabbit trails not the least of which is Racing Point has now had both their drivers test positive for COVID Uh uh-huh which makes you wonder that since we haven't had any major COVID positive tests past the first race when McLaren was already like, Mm -hmm. we have a positive and we're we're pulling out because... Well, not really. Mercedes had, and and my understanding is even this weekend there was an issue, Mercedes has had some group of trackside personnel test positive, and there were replacements flown in this weekend, and I believe in Germany they also had... A similar thing. You wouldn't know from watching how the team is performing. <laughs> but but they had something, and we did get word, and I have not heard what has come of it, but going into this weekend, George Russell's trainer, he had symptoms that he felt was concerning enough 
while they didn't have a COVID test on him, he had decided that he was going to isolate. And George hasn't spoken, hasn't seen, they've, they've spoken. George hasn't been in physical contact with his trainer since uh, Portugal. Mm. But going into this weekend, he was not feeling well and put himself into isolation. Well, keep in mind, Portugal was only a week ago. So yeah. that's not your 10 to 14 day quarantine mm-hmm. period. But long story short, <clears throat> all of the different pieces and parts of this is it is pretty glaringly obvious that Racing Point has um, a miss in their COVID protocol? Well, the FIA has determined that uh, Racing Point has failed to comply with the protocols. Ooh, what does fail to comply get you? A warning. Ooh, I'm scared. Don't do it again. Ooh. Yeah. That's it. Oh, and actually, I, sh- I should add, it wasn't just apparently Lance who tested positive. Well, his daddy tested positive, too. Yeah, Lawrence too. tested positive, too. Yeah, well, I'm pretty sure they shared a plane to go back from Germany to Switzerland, but uh, it was upon arrival in Switzerland. Yeah. Now, the other thing to mention, just offhandly, and this is only because I heard it somewhere along the line, um, there is a theory may or may not hold a lot of water that the tests are different that racing points test because lance and lance lawrence apparently did have a COVID test at germany because he was trackside he was trackside and, and as a matter of fact he did were, have one but it showed negative was it germany where prince albert was prince albert in portugal he was in portugal okay because we saw him on the grid in germany and we saw him having a conversation at one point with Prince Albert. Uh, that was Portugal. I think he was okay. on the grid in Portugal okay. having a conversation with Prince Albert. Um, but that was the statement was that Lawrence tested negative at the track, but positive in Switzerland. So that there is a running theory, conspiracy theory, um, thought that perhaps Switzerland's COVID test is more accurate than trackside. Well, there there are mm-hmm. different ones. of. I mean, if it was the, the rapid test, I think that's like an 86% rate as opposed to the intracranial swab um, where, where they actually take the sample from the back of your skull. That one, I believe, is like 99 or 99 point or, or 98.9 or something like that. And then there's just the the slightly inside the nose, which I think is is high eighties, low nineties. So it's possible that when they arrived in Switzerland, the the Swiss decided to take a, a sample from the back of their skull. Well, I mean, to be very honest, there wouldn't be much resistance. Oh, ouch! Okay, so so um, moving along. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, while, while we're still going to go and, and, and sling mud in, in the direction of Lawrence Stroll, um, in response to Lance's positive test, McLaren has stepped up. Um, and and in, in particular, um, Andrea Seidel has said that the, the positive COVID tests were a wake-up call, at least for them. And they're taking it as a wake-up. And they're refining their COVID procedures um, to avoid complacency. Well, you know, it turned the the bad into good. Go for it, McLaren. Now, Zach Brown, on the other hand, who uh, 
clearly there is no love lost between Zach Brown and I'm thinking anybody over at racing. <laughs> but Otmar you know, in particular. Otmar and I think Lawrence as well. I, I think Zach is pissed at both of them pretty royally. Um, Zach said that, you know, he, he gave a statement on this. He said, for McLaren, we put our people first and foremost. We won't take any risks. We won't gamble. We recognize how dangerous this is. And we want to make sure that everyone stays healthy and we continue to put on Grand Prix. If I look at the Racing Point incident or incidents, I would probably test anyone that isn't feeling well daily. When in Australia, we had someone who didn't feel well. Andreas and I aren't doctors, but we took the very quick decision to isolate. And then when the test came back positive, isolate the team. And ultimately, we knew that we would that would shut us down for the race. I know the doctor didn't think a test was positive. Maybe in hindsight, that should be different. I don't know who the doctor was. I don't know if it was Dr. Malia, Dr. Seuss, or maybe it was Dr. Dre. But maybe next time around, we should be testing when anyone has any sorts of symptoms because of how, because we know how dangerous this is. <laughs> Dr. Seuss? Dr. Seuss or Dr. Dre? <laughs> Dr. Seuss, Dr. And Basically, Dr. you're Malia. saying yeah. not a doctor at Professor Watkins level. Not at all. Because <laughs> Sid, Sid would have rammed that Q-tip up well, his nose. <laughs> well, uh, it, that's one of the things that, that Otmar says is that, well, you know, Lance called his personal doctor and the doctor said that he didn't think that those symptoms were COVID. And everybody else, is, when you got the right symptoms, <laughs> as opposed to just gastrointestinal distress and nothing else is wrong, when you got the right symptoms, apparently everybody was going... Um, those are the COVID symptoms, dude. That, 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 that's the, you got the perfecta there. <laughs> it's the quinella and the perfecta. You got it. Just go. <laughs> Do not pass go. Uh, yeah. Go get a Q-tip. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, Racing Point is um not, I think, on anybody's Christmas cards list right now. And so they're not very popular. I, you know, I did notice that after the race, nobody's going over to go hug the pink team. No, no. I well, I, I think if they are, they're wearing the Tyvek suits and the, the rubber gloves and. <laughs> the, what's that yeah. yellow one with the the the? Oh, the the radiation suit, the bunny yeah. suits. Yes. Yeah, the clean room suits. <laughs> yes, uh. those. All right, so. Now, unfortunately, we're not done talking about COVID because, you know, as we have heard, there is a surge going on, not just in the U.S., but in Europe as well. Um, Originally, there were supposed to be fans in the stands at Imola. Um, The decision was made either Wednesday or Thursday that um, fans would not be allowed to the track. Oh, wow. Now, because apparently... Some folks back gardens back up to the track. There were fans on some of the balconies. I did see that. I, and I was wondering if I was going to see anybody. Out. I'm like, really? This is Imola. If they're not going to be watching, something's wrong. And sure enough, there were, there were fans. There were no banners, though. Mm-hmm. But there were fans on the balconies watching the track. I did wonder about that. I was having like that. I wonder how much like Wrigleyville this would be. Like, you know, people renting out their roofs or something. I think... On a normal race weekend, it would be. 
very much so. But yeah. Can you imagine? I mean, I love our quiet world, but so I can't imagine living on a racetrack. But can you imagine living on Emola? Um, I have lived within earshot of tracks before. And actually, you have as well. Mm-hmm. We've lived within earshot of tracks before. Um, it's depending on how far you are and, and they're pretty dang close. I was going to say, that's not earshot. That's now, look out your bedroom window and go, ooh, look, a car. <laughs> now the plus side though is that if you're limit, living in one of those areas, there's no night racing at Imola. Mm-hmm. So you you don't have to worry about, that. that's growing up, I, I played used to play the audio from Raceway Park. Um, you could stand outside on the front porch at night because they'd be doing the, the funny cars and the drag racing and stuff. They do that typically after dark. You could hear that. And we were six, seven miles away. Mm. And even when we were out in Petaluma, California, if you stood at, well, actually, you didn't even need to stand outside. You just need to open a window because we had no air conditioning. Houses you, aren't built without air conditioning. But if you open the window, we could hear them over at the fairgrounds on the short track, dirt track, doing racing. Mm-hmm. That was what? Yeah, three, four miles away. Yeah. But, I mean, not oppressive. I mean... No. But you you got to think in the V12 era and the V8 era, those houses... Had to shake. Yeah, on a, on a race weekend, they, they probably had to go and fix their pictures because they all were crooked. Well, I mean, I remember uh, we had friends that had, when F1 still raced at Indy, mm-hmm. I had gone to Indy to an F1 race, and they said that you could feel the cars yep. miles away. It's like, that's just a wild thought. And then to think about, oh, there's my house shaking as Ayrton goes by. Yeah. <laughs> so um obviously no fans this weekend no fans next weekend or or, well actually not next weekend but next race in turkey either and we had heard that ticket sales were going really well too that weekend yeah another popular not sell out all the tickets prior to the weekend they had not sold out all of the tickets in for imola Mm. um they, they did sell quite a few but I guess the word on the street was that there there was a lot of concern about whether or not fans would be allowed in, and that kept the ticket sales down. Oh, interesting. Um, that wasn't a concern at all. But anyway, <laughs> uh, however, with everything that's going on, there is an expectation that in the UK and several other European countries, that another lockdown of sorts is coming and coming within the next week. Oh wow. Um, at this point, F1 believes that it will not be at the same scale of what happened in the spring. They, they are not expecting that plants will get shut down and that they will shut down their operations. Um, they also believe that there will be, at least for the UK teams, we don't know about anybody else, but at least for the UK teams, they're expecting exemptions for business-related travel, which is what heading to a race would be. Mm. So they're expecting that those exemptions will stay in place. So at this point, it does not look like our last four races are at risk, but we'll see. Well, you got to think about it. I was thinking about this this past week. Historically, um, 
in other seasons, and this one too, Lewis doesn't always, like in the seasons that he's won, he doesn't mm-hmm. always come out first and stay first the whole season long. He often comes out and he's, you know, the second place, you know, in these he's, past his, seven his years. His season starts slow. His season does start a little slow and he gains some speed and, you know, Valtteri falls off and those types of things happen. But this year, you have to consider the amount of stress that says at any moment, the the racing could be stopped. So once they hit that eight race minimum to be a world championship season, at any moment at that point, they could not have any more. It could have been possible to stop the racing. So yeah, we're, yeah. we've made it this far and we're cheering and we're thrilled that we've had any sort of a season. Um and those last four races being up in the air is, is tough. But when you think about like having to think through this could be the last race every time yeah. you're driving. Like that's an incredible amount of emotional stress that these guys have been under. I you know, I, I think what Formula One's first off, we we know that <clears throat> Formula One is going to do everything in their power to get the full season in Mm -hmm. because they don't want the reduced revenues. Oh yeah. So they're, they're going to push really hard to get the full season in, but I think they're going to turn around and they're also going to hold up the fact that the protocols appear to be working unless you're racing point, the protocols and, and to be fair to racing point, my guess just, basing it off what we heard from folks like Roman Grosjean in Russia is that it probably was not Racing Point's fault if he got it in Russia. It was probably the general complacency in Russia. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, I, I, I think Formula One is going to hold that the, the, the protocols have been working and... and the low number of infections, and we have seen some. We know Will Buxton got significantly ill, um, and, and several teams have had some impact, but none of the drivers have. None of the the key personnel, other than the two over at Racing Point, have had an impact. And I think they're going to use that as justification to to sell to the remaining governments to let them to continue through the end of the year. Well, and I think that would be awesome. I mean, <clears throat> I. Good for them for putting very strict guidelines in place and trying to do all the right things to once they started the season to be able to keep going with the season because that was their big concern. If we start it, we want to do it. Yeah. Um, I just, it, it hit me this week when you kind of sit back and you think about it and say, every time they had a race, if you didn't perform at that level, it could have been the only race you had at the, that you didn't get a do-over necessarily. You weren't guaranteed the do-over of another race. Yeah. All right. So the end of this season, <clears throat> if things had gone normally, what was supposed to happen was after Abu Dhabi, where we typically have a test, since this was supposed to be the last year of these cars and this design, <clears throat> the, the, the traditional test was going to be replaced with essentially a tire test mm-hmm. for, not so much for the teams but for the drivers because remember if everything went the way it was supposed to we had new tires coming um 18 inch tires as opposed to what we have today um and new cars so it was supposed to be the current drivers 
driving mule cars with the new tires so that they get experience with them. Well, now that the rules are being pushed back, that tire test is out the window. <clears throat> Formula One decide to make this a young driver test, which yeah. we've had happen before. It's fairly consistent. Well, Renault got the idea of, oh, this is going to be a test at the end of the year. We're, we're trying to get Fernando more seat time so that he can get more familiar and get back into the swing after two years out. So we'll have Fernando driving a young driver test. But and everybody has- went, whoa, no. But Fernando is not a young driver. Um, by a lot of definitions, <laughs> he's not a young driver. Exactly. So besides the fact that he's not young. <laughs> no. I mean, he is a driver, so so we got 50% there. But the thing is, in order for, well, actually, let me put it this way. To be considered a young driver, to participate in a young driver test, you have to be a driver who has, um, oh, I just lost the rules. Ah, here we go. Must be in possession of an international A license, which he does unless otherwise approved by the FIA, and not have completed in more than two F1 World Championship races during their career. Oh, but he has two F1 World Championships. Yeah. (laughs) Not the same. Oh, oh. And of course, Cyril Abitbull is going... I can't believe that everybody was upset by this. I don't... He's been gone for two years. I don't see the problem. <laughs> it's like he started over. Yeah. that That's <laughs> kind of what he said. Oh, these are just the teams playing games. They're just trying to hold us... No! <laughs> oh, he has two world championships. <laughs> yeah. So, Fernando will not be participating in the young... As of right now, at least. Fernando will not be participating in the young driver test (laughs) at the end of the season. (laughs) But at least it's not a commentary on his age. No, it's not. This is not age discrimination. No. Um, So, with all the attention that has been placed this year on social causes and equality and we races one as being a focal point for formula one you'd think that all of the drivers are in tune to their comments and the things that they're saying i'm gonna guess no well you know nascar has had drivers get fired mm-hmm. for using racial slurs we, we we talked about it several times um that that this has occurred in, in a couple of different series. Um, Max Verstappen in Portugal, and it's not the first time, unfortunately, that he has done something like this. Um, but in Portugal, and I think it was free practice one, Max had a collision with Lance. Um, they were both kind of at fault. Um, some of it was because visibility in a Formula One car kind of sucks, and some of it is because... Um, one expected the other not to be there and the other expected him to be not turn in. And They were playing was, chicken with each other and they expected the other one to yield. Kind of, but also didn't expect him to be there in the first place because it wasn't a race session. Mm-hmm. At all. So, but they had a coming together and Max ranted on the radio. Mm. And... Among other things, he called Lance a Mongol. And this apparently is not the first time that 
Max has described somebody as a Mongol. Um, he did it to uh, referring to Ray Stewart's last year in his anger. Mm. While we're not particularly familiar with this in the U.S., I, I have not heard it as being used as an insult before. Uh, I guess in some parts of Europe, it's considered highly insulting and racist. So, so we've just been eliminated from being aired in those countries. Thank you. <laughs> well, we're not referring to somebody that way. Okay. I mean, to, to be clear, we are not using it in a manner intended to be derogatory. We're just saying, this is what Max did. Okay. So early on, there was initial call questions of, why does Max get a free pass here? Hmm. Why, you know, why does nobody seem to care that Max did this and did this in a public forum and he's done it before? Um, and I guess a couple of the reporters went to Max and said, you know, what's the deal here? You kind of piss people off and asked if, you know, he was concerned that, that folks might have taken offense to his choice of words. Max's response was, well, that's not my problem. It's not oh. his problem if people take offense at his comments, which... That does fly in the face of being sensitive and... Yeah. You know, we wait race as one and such. Yeah. Um, apparently in 2017, and it, was, it wasn't last year, it was 2017, where he used the same thing against uh, the stewards. He, he then came back later on and said that he didn't mean anything bad through his comment and that he didn't mean to hurt anyone. Which, well, you were using it when you were pissed off to complain about somebody. I'm, I'm not sure the argument that you, you didn't mean anything bad holds any water there. Well, I mean, if I'm going to call somebody a first lap nutter, I, I don't mean anything bad by it. Yeah. <laughs> I, I don't, you know, if they get hurt by my comment, they, it's their problem. So apparently on Friday, Max conceded that the words he chose were, quote, not the right ones, and that he, quote, never intended to offend anybody. Um, I guess groups such as Mongol Identity have released a letter asking for a full apology for Max. Oh. Um, the Mongolian government has also sent letters to Dietrich Mateschitz, um, CEO of Red Bull, and Tobias Moore's CEO of Red Bull Racing's title sponsor, Aston Martin, to express disappointment with Verstappen's language over the radio. In that uh, letter, um, the Mongolian ambassador to the United Nations and World Trade Organization said that he was confident that the FIA would take further action against Verstappen. I regret the use of racist and unethical language in public by Red Bull driver Max Verstappen during the practice of the Portuguese Grand Prix of the Formula One World Championship on 23 October 2020. Sport is considered a symbol of unity all over the world, and I believe that there should not be any form of racial discrimination in sports. Yeah. All righty. So, so the, the best is Christian Horner's come out and said that um, he does not condone Max's choice of language, and he spoke to the driver internally. Did Max get the naughty step? Uh, that That's what it sounds like of... Um, don't do it again. Yeah. Y you might need to rethink how you're going after people. Yeah. 
Well, they've had to rein him in before. Yeah. So Lando Norris has also issued an apology. What in the world could Lando, fun-loving Lando Calrissian Norris, have done wrong? So Lando Calrissian Norris, after the um, Portuguese Grand Prix, where Lewis Hamilton broke Michael Schumacher's record for wins, uh, apparently made a comment that, um, well, Lewis, basically he downplayed Lewis's breaking the record by saying that He's in a car that which should win every race, basically, mm. and that he had has little opposition. So he has the right tool, and therefore it's not that big of a deal that he's won so many. Something like that. Uh huh. So so Lando has apologized for for the comments, and the thing is, I'm I'm not I, I can't get worked up over this. I mean, Lando's kind of right. Yes, Lewis is a great driver. And Valtteri is a really good driver too. But they've got, again, the best car. And that's what happens in, in any of the, these sports of the best players, the best drivers, the most successful people end up with the most successful teams at some point. Mm-hmm. And then they see even more success. Mm-hmm. I mean, we've said this since we started the podcast. Mm-hmm. To win a world championship, it has to be the culmination of the best driver, a, a good driver, a consistently good driver, in the fastest and best handling car mm-hmm. at the right time. Yeah. Because you can't have anybody else on the track that's got that level of performance under them. Now, here's the reality. Lewis Hamilton has been in this sport for a long time. And a lot of the years he was in the sport, he wasn't winning. And he wasn't in the best car. And he wasn't in the best car. But he's, he's got a natural, instinctual talent that has risen him up and made an incredibly smart move from McLaren to Mercedes at exactly the right time. And it has put him in that right spot. But if you think that the reason he's winning all of these races is strictly because he's got the best car, then Valtteri should have been winning more races. Well, I I think Valtteri would be winning more races if he was not paired up with Lewis Hamilton. Possibly. But then that all that says is, okay, those two drivers are driving the same car. At the end of the day, they they should be, if they are equal drivers, they should have about equal wins, correct? See, same car, if they were equal. But but I, But they're not, and... But they're not, and Lewis is... Probably at least two to one more wins than Valtteri in the same car. Yeah. My point being, Lewis is an incredible driver. He is. And, you know, actually, though, going by that logic, and and I hate to go here, Mm -hmm. but we're going to go here. 
going by that logic, that would put Nico Rosberg at a very similar level to Lewis Hamilton. Did he win in those early years before he he quit? Was he neck and neck? Because the first two, I thought the first two championships, they were wasn't quite as close. They were close, um, but typically, Nico, uh, if I remember correctly, and, and actually, I don't know if the book has it because I think the book only goes up to twenty twelve. It does to uh, I, I think he would end up in third to Lewis's first because he'd fall apart at some point. Mm-hmm. But if you think about it, Nico's the only teammate that has beaten Lewis. Exactly. And it certainly was neck and neck in that one season. In that one season, Nico converted his moment in the best car to a championship. Now, we can argue all day long, and pundits have, and I have, because I am, I, I, I admit my bias here. I'm a big Lewis fan. I get that. But we can argue that in that year, Lewis also overcame more issues. He had more engine trouble. He had yeah. more problems with his car. Well, that was than, the year that the racing gods were not smiling on him. No. And they smiled on Nico. And so Nico didn't have the pressure on him because of what was going on with Lewis's car. The thing that both Valtteri... Oh, he had pressure on him. Different pressure. Both Valtteri and Nico, their Achilles heel in racing against Lewis in the same car is actually the same thing. Neither one of them can handle the pressure that Lewis puts on them. Both of them will make some inherent... They, they lose to the pressure. Lewis does not succumb to the pressure that they put it on him, that they would put back on him. Yeah, but it's different pressure. Okay. So, if if you remember, in, in when Lewis and Nico were truly teamed up together, the pressure that Lewis would put was psychological with these public mm-hmm. comments and public jabs and those kind of things. To get into Nico's head. Well, yeah. Le- Lewis doesn't do that with Valtteri. No. Le- everything that we see with that relationship is cordial and friendly and respectful at a level that we had not seen in the last several years between Nico and Lewis. The pressure that Lewis puts on Valtteri is more on track. Mm-hmm. It's the just when you think you have a, le- a leg up on me and you're starting to get ahead of me, there I am looking over your shoulder. And it's a different kind of pressure. Well, yeah. And it's Valtteri doesn't break as late as Lewis does. So Valtteri is, mm-hmm. you know, just, just that off of breaking quite as late as Lewis is. He doesn't take that little extra risk. Valtteri is more likely to lock up in a corner than than Lewis is. There's just there's a finesse to Lewis that Lewis doesn't make some of the mistakes, and I think that it's at that level of pressure of I'm there, I'm there, I'm there, I'm there, I'm not there, kind of mm-hmm. a thing. 
but you're right about the psychological pressure for against Nico. He was he was on Nico psychologically. Mm-hmm. But honestly, I think the difference there is that Lewis, Lewis knew the buttons to push. I was going to say they grew up together. Yep. Lewis knew exactly which buttons to push. Lewis had been pushing his buttons and Nico's been pushing was pushing mm-hmm. Lewis's buttons. But they they I mean they they did middle school together. They never got out of middle school. Yeah. You know, it was that same thing of how can I push on you to get you to react? So, and then on track, it was the same thing. It was the same, you think you're getting ahead and I'm I'm right there at your heels. I'm always going to be there. And I'm yeah. always going to be that one hundredth of a second later on the brakes or faster on the throttle. I'm going to hit apexes one time more than you do. Yeah. So anyway. Yeah. Um... It sounds like the teams have agreed, at least in principle, we don't know what it's really going to look like, but they have at least agreed in principle to a driver's salary cap that would come into effect for the 2023 season. Oh, wow. Now, this is something that I could see spurning some of the drivers to leave. Now, the way the cap, it sounds like, is going to work, and at least provisionally, is that it's a $30 million cap for both across both drivers oh wow so that could go 15 and 15 or 25 and 5 uh-huh there's also talk of similar caps being put in place for the top three management personnel on the team as well interesting now what we don't know is whether and so one of the things that, that is very common in these Formula One contracts is you have the base pay and then there is bonuses for race wins, bonuses for podiums, bonuses for points scored, and bonuses for the championships. Mm-hmm. We don't know how this would impact any of those packages. Now that's interesting. Yeah. Um, so driver news. We are certainly in silly season, and oddly enough, these announcements didn't come from the team. <laughs> no, this one was this weird. First one. Um, we we knew that that at least one of these guys w- was his days were numbered, but Haas. Actually, no, let me rephrase that. Haas is not announced. Roman Grosjean and Kevin Magnussen have both announced that they will not be driving for the team in twenty twenty one. And yet, Gunther has still not called me. Um, well, so this is, this is what's, what to me was a little odd. Is, yeah, Gunther hasn't called you, but Kevin Magnuson was saying that the reason that he's out of the team, and we assume that it's the same for Roman, is because he doesn't bring money. Because he is not a paid driver. Right, a paying driver. Yeah, he's not a paying driver. He's never been a paying driver, and while he does have backers, that is not how he gets his seats. And because of that, he is no longer going to be with the team. Roman has essentially said the same thing. Um, Roman has also said, and, and this was a little surprising when I saw this, 
Um, Roman has said that he's having talks with several IndyCar teams. He's interested in coming to IndyCar. This surprised me because originally he said he had no interest in driving ovals. Interesting. Doesn't want any part of it. He says the reason that he's open to it now is the revised, well, is the calendar as published for 2021 only hits four ovals. Oh, okay. Everything else is a road course. He's like, okay, I'm, I'm open to this. So that's, we don't know who he's talking to. We don't know where that's going to shake out. I, I'm not sure. Honestly, I did not look at what silly season looks like over in IndyCar right now, but I don't think there's that many seats. Magnuson says he's looking there too. I'd like Magnuson to come over to IndyCar. Yeah, we'll see. So no word from Haas. We know what the rumors are. The rumors, there's no word from Haas as to who the, the new drivers are going to be, but the rumors are Mick Schumacher, mm-hmm. and which we had initially been hearing was going to Alpha, but that's not going to happen now. Mick Schumacher and Nikita Maspan. Who's Nikita Mazepan? I think it's Mazepin. Mazepin or Mazepan. Um, okay, so who's this Marzipan guy? Yeah. His dad, um, Dimitri, was the other potential buyer for Racing Point. Oh. Oh, yeah. He's the one that um, Lawrence beat out. Beat out. And the one who wanted to take Lawrence to court over that deal because he felt that it was done with underhandedly. So we're having another that. daddy buying his son a racing well, seat? That's So that's one of the rumors that's been flying around is that Nikita's going to come in, or not Nikita, yeah, Nikita's going to come in and not only will he have Dimitri's money. First off, we know Dimitri has tried to buy a seat for Nikita several times. Um, he tried to do it with Williams a couple of years ago. He's tried to do it in a couple other with a couple other teams, and he's gotten pushed away. He tried to do it with, with Force India uh, before Lawrence stepped in and actually bought the team outright. Um, the, one of the rumors is possibly this is going to come with either a stake in the team or he may buy out Gene Haas. How bad of a driver is this guy that he can't get a seat with daddy's money? Uh, my understanding is the expectation is that Nikita is going to end up around sixth in the F2 championship. Okay. By comparison, um, there's a good chance that Mick could win it. All right. So, the concern here, again, drawing that parallel with Williams and Lance Stroll. So, you're going to punt. You're already struggling. And you're going to punt two experienced drivers and bring in two extreme rookies. One of which really isn't a great driver to begin with. Yeah. And you're going to turn a team around. It didn't work for Williams. Williams punted Massa and brought in um, Sorokin. Brought in Sergey Sorokin, another super rookie, and paired up with him. And word on the street is that part of what caused the problem is that 
One would come in and complain that the car was oversteering, and the other one would come in and complain that it's understeering. <laughs> and it couldn't figure it out between either of them because the feedback sucked. And it just spiraled down from there. Oh, my word. So, yeah, learn from some lessons here. But that, that's what's the potential risk here. Honestly, I, I, I think if Haas was smart, yeah, you bring in Mick. It, it sounds like he, he's promising. There's a lot of money behind him. There, there's going to be more coming from Ferrari if you bring Mick in. Awesome. Fantastic. You don't bring in Mazvan. You bring in Sergio Perez. I was going to say. And you take his money. Mm-hmm. I mean, he comes with Carlos Slim money, so mm-hmm. that's nothing to sneeze at. And now you have an experienced driver and a promising driver, and you have a fighting chance. All right. You bring in these two junior rookies when you're already struggling, you're guaranteed you're going to crash and burn. There's no way. I would give up my my shot at the seat at Haas for Sergio. Oh, I was going to say, you, you, you would give up your seat at Haas looking at this potential lineup to make sure that you got out of that, that death spiral before it started? Well, I mean, <sighs> if they're going to take Marzipan's money... Yeah. Um, then obviously I'm going to have to become the reserve driver, test and reserve driver. And Got you it. know how good my feedback is on, you know, driving, test driving cars. So, so you're going to channel Nikki Lauda and it's a sheet box. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> That's, I'm going to wear the red hat and I'm going to just complain about everything. Yeah. I'll be super helpful. Okay. So, moving on. Alpha Tori. Yes. They have confirmed a driver. Okay. Let's step, let's take a step back because we cannot talk about Alpha Tori in isolation because you also have to talk about the daddy team. Okay. In a move that honestly is about the most confusing move I've ever seen. Both Red Bull and AlphaTauri have only confirmed one driver. Well, Red Bull didn't have any... There was nothing for them to confirm. Max, the start of this season, they signed him to a three-year contract. Well, okay, so Max... So, Max I mean, is, that... But the other seat, Albon's seat, is unconfirmed and yeah. wide open. Now we have two drivers sitting over here at AlphaTauri. Mm-hmm. And... They've confirmed one seat yeah. for one of their drivers. So Gasly's keeping his seat. Yeah, they, they announced that Pierre Gasly, because that was the question uh, last weekend in Portugal, is is this a chance for Gasly to move back up to Red Bull or what? They're well, not ever going to move him back up to Red and, Bull. And, and, and that's the thing, is that they announced coming out of this weekend, they confirmed that Gasly will be remaining at Alpha Tori next year. Um, but they only announced G- Gasly's seat. They did not announce the other driver. Right. That was my whole point, is that yeah. we have two open Red Bull, Red Bull Jr. seats because they're not announcing Albon. They're not announcing Kvyat. Word on the street is probably Kvyat's out. Yeah, and, and Kvyat's turned around and said that 
Um, he's not worried about his position with the team, even though his seat didn't get announced. Now, he is truly taking that position of, it's awesome to be here, I'd love to stay here, but it is what it is. Either I get to stay or I don't. Well, they fired him once. So. Yeah, and, and, and I think he, he knows that he's on borrowed time with them anyway, and there were was zero chance of him going back to Red Bull at all. Mm-hmm. That, it, you know, short of him winning races and beating Max, which wasn't going to happen, um, there there's no chance. He, he's there just to, to get the car on the track, and that's it. Um, Gasly, on the other hand, that was the question. Would he take Albin's seat? Would he replace Albin and, and move back up to the seat that he was punted out of? Because Albin has not been driving at the levels that Red Bull, Red Bull would expect their drivers to be at. Mm. And arguably, you know, Gasly performed better in the first half of last season and got fired for it. Right. So the fact that Albin's still hanging in there, I think surprised a lot of folks. And that was the question of would they give Gasly another chance? Um, Christian Horner says that um, he they didn't even consider Gasly. They were not going to consider Gasly. Interesting. Um, and honestly, based on as much as I think Horner was right in what he said, and we'll get to that in a second, based on what Christian Horner said, I think Pierre Gasly would be smart to look for a new seat for 2022. I think you're right. So what Christian Horner said was that... Um, Obviously, Pierre has done a fantastic job over at Alpha Tori and really picked up going down to Alpha Tori. And they said that one, the, the general philosophy behind the two cars is very different. And everyone has acknowledged that the Red Bull car, especially this year, is much harder to drive. Um, they, uh, Christian said that he believes that the Alpha Tori, the reason why Pierre is doing so much better in that car is because it suits his style of driving better than the Red Bull does. Okay. So that's part of the reason. But the other is that the overall atmosphere in Alpha Tori as a team is very different than the atmosphere in Red Bull. In Alpha Tori, there is less pressure on, while yes, they want to do as well as possible. They're not driving necessarily for the race wins. They're not driving to challenge Mercedes and Ferrari. They're driving to get as many points as they can. And because of that, the expectations are different and the pressure is different. And that's why Christian believes that Pierre is thriving down at Alpha Tori and would not consider him for the Red Bull seat. Interesting. Which Christian's probably very right there. But from what we have seen of Pierre, especially when he was up at Red Bull and, and he wanted to be the number one, unproven, and here I am, look at me. If that's the attitude that the organization has towards him and he doesn't feel that way, he needs to be looking for a new seat. Well, I think you're right. I think that he needs to be looking for a new seat because I think he deserves a better seat than an Alfa seat. Um. Honestly, I think that he's taken the emotional hits and he keeps on punching. Mm-hmm. And 
I'm in, I actually I will tell you I've been impressed with him because I honestly thought that he was going to have the I'm going to pack my toys up and go home moment that Kvyat had. Kvyat yeah. folded when they kicked him. He did, and and he just got he he got into more and more of a funk as we got further into that season until they finally just punted him completely. Right, and that's not that Pierre just I mean he took it on the chin and. It may be that the way the team is put together suits him. The car suits his driving style. If the Red Bull is built for Max and for Max's driving style, they're going to have to be very, very picky about who they can pair him up with. Because not only do you have to have somebody that fits into that mindset, but you're not going to have somebody there to pick up the extra points. And that's what they're struggling with right now is they'd be better off in the numbers and the points, but they've got nobody to place cleanup for the points they can get. That was what Mark Webber and Vettel did, even though they didn't partner well with each other. Mm-hmm. That was something that the two of them were able to do. Is And for better or worse, Fernando and Massa as a partnership. Yeah, and... and- to, to some extent, Raikkonen and Vettel, too. Mm-hmm. Um, you got to have somebody bat and clean up. The, and, and I think that's the weakness of the Red Bull system. Mm-hmm. Is because they have been so dedicated to bringing folks up through their program. And, and it is a great plan and a great idea until you end up with the situation that, that they were in two years ago. And the similar situation that they're in now, you know, two years ago, they had two very strong drivers and nowhere to put them. Mm -hmm. You know, they had Max and they had Carlos Sainz. They brought up Max and they had nowhere to put Carlos. And Carlos wanted more. And, you know, he was as far as he could potentially go short of somebody falling apart in the upper level. And it wasn't going to happen. Right. So you either end up with that problem of too many butts and not enough seats, or you end up with the problem that you have now of too many seats and not enough butts. Mm-hmm. And you lock yourself into either one of those scenarios. Mm-hmm. It is, uh, It would be a lining up of the stars in an incredible manner to be able to truly have a funnel that allowed you to have the proper number of butts and seats. Yeah. So the the rumors that I'm hearing um, are either Sergio Perez or I, I think more likely Nico Hulkenberg to get partnered with Max. And the reason why I think it's, it's Nico is because we know that um, Nico has had conversations with Helmut Marko and other folks in that team, and that they had him on standby um, a couple of weeks ago when it looked like Albin might have to pull out. Um, I'm not sure that that Nico is... I mean, Nico will be a better and more consistent driver than Albin. He's not going to be the wingman that they're looking for, though. Well... (laughs) And that begs the question, the unanswerable question. Mm-hmm. Max needs a wingman. Full yep. stop. Yep. The problem is, does Max 
realize that he needs a wingman. Max does. Is he willing to work with a wingman? I think Max is. Provided that that person... Knows their place? Yes. That as long as Max is treated as the number one, and that that wingman only is acting in a in a manner to support his success, Max will be perfectly okay with it and will love it and will have a blast with it. The problem comes... But it, the minute it's somebody who's challenging his dominance in a team, that's where it'll fall apart. Okay, but here's the problem with that plan. Mm-hmm. You By Horner's own admission, you have a car that is set up for a driver that drives with a very specific, aggressive style. You have a team that is set up to support that kind of competitive aggression and nurture that kind of competitive aggression. Mm -hmm. So in theory, the right driver to be part of the team and to drive that car would be someone similar to Max. But you've already also said Max doesn't play well with others because unless you acknowledge his dominance, he's not going to tolerate and play well with you. Well, that's, and, and, and in a way, that, that's some of the theory behind why Carlos Sainz was, was signed over to Ferrari. Mm-hmm. Was... You want somebody who's aggressive, but somebody who doesn't want to be the number one. Mm-hmm. Or, or won't necessarily challenge to be the number one. They'll always be close. They'll always be nipping at the heels, but will never actually fill that spot. And and I think that's what they're hoping for if they bring in a Hulkenberg or somebody like that. And the, the theory behind bringing Carlos Sainz over to Ferrari is something very similar is that Carlos is a good driver. Mm-hmm. Everybody acknowledges that, that, that Carlos is a very good driver. But whether or not Carlos is actually a better driver than um, Charles Leclerc is up in the air. There's some thoughts that in terms of who the better driver is and who the, the, the driver that would challenge Leclerc more was actually Daniel Ricciardo. And because of that, that's why Ferrari didn't take him. Mm-hmm. Because they didn't want somebody who was going to be at odds with Leclerc. I don't know. This is why I'm not a team principal. Yeah. Because remember how we talked about earlier in the show that to win a world championship, you have to have the right car, the best car on the track. Mm-hmm. You have to be a really good driver and you have to have the right time. Mm-hmm. You have to have it and you have to be in that moment that those all those things come together. Well, there's a fourth element that you've just described too. You have to be in the right pecking order of your team. So while not every team has a number one and number two, don't, don't misunderstand, but... Every team has a, a philosophy that they're pushing together. So if, for example, it's Leclerc's time at Ferrari and Carlos Sainz comes in and he has a wicked good 
couple of races. Ferrari's going to start rethinking who their number one, number two is, a la Leclerc coming in with Vettel. Yeah. And all of a sudden that starts really shaking up the team because they had originally designed it as you're the number one, you're going to be the number two, you're the support role. Mm -hmm. And if the support role overshadows the main role, you're rolled out of it again. But that's also why most of these teams... And even at Red Bull up until this past year or a couple of years, most of these teams wouldn't designate that number one driver until the season had started. And they'd start everybody off on the same foot. Now, arguably, Mark Webber would turn around and say, well, he never had Helmut Marco's favor to begin with, so he was always at a disadvantage for mm-hmm. whoever newbie Helmut bumped up into the team to begin with but most of the teams that's how they work is we don't designate that number one until the season has started the difference is max's ego is forcing that right i mean i wouldn't want to be on a team with max's ego yeah all right so moving on um over at uh, alfa romeo they have confirmed that kimmy raikkonen is staying with the team. We're Another never. year with Kimmy. He's never going to retire. He, you know, I don't think he... Well, the only way he will retire is if he gets kicked out. Um, but Raikkonen Giovinazzi for 2021. And, you know... So I'm not... I don't think Giovinazzi's particularly great honestly i think all he's doing is he's warming a seat and i get it yes he's passed somebody in the opening lap of every race whoopee do <laughs> he's not on the podium he's not tight in the mid pack he's not that great a driver mm-hmm. um and again kimmy's just taking up a seat yeah i mean the, the car we haven't Yes, the car is a little better than it was last year, but we're not seeing great strides in improvements here. We're not seeing performance get better. And certainly at the start of the season, it was looking like this car was worse than the Williams. So why are we sticking with this? Anyway. So, yeah, that's happening. By the way, Alfa Romeo has extended their deal with Sauber um, into 2021. Okay. So there there will be Alfa Romeo one more year in Formula One. Who knows what will happen from there. Um, there was a lot of confusion, since we mentioned Williams in the back of the grid. There was a lot of confusion um, going into Portugal regarding the future of the driver's lineup over at Williams. To the point... And, and, I honestly, I don't know what the heck the team was doing. Um, Simon Roberts, who is the the acting team principal going into Portugal, would not confirm their driver lineup for 2021, would not confirm that George Russell would be remaining with the team. And even at one point came out and said that Russell's future with the team would not be determined by his performance. What? I don't know what the hell he was thinking. That's so weird. Especially since 
they'd all the team had already announced pre-sale admittedly but already announced that they were going to keep George at least for another year hmm. however this weekend the team actually confirmed that yes George and Nick and uh yeah uh, Nick Latifi will be remaining with the team in 2021. They are not changing their driver lineup. Ah. Now, George has come out and said that um, he thinks some of these rumors were kicked up by Sergio Perez's people Mm. um, because there was talk that Perez might be headed to Williams. Um, Clearly, that is not the case at this point. Interesting. And honestly, it wouldn't... If they were going to get rid of anybody, as much as I know... George doesn't bring the money like Latifi does. Latifi, I think, is also backed by his dad. Another <laughs> one of those. Um, as much as Nick hasn't been performing as well and George doesn't bring as much money, what I think George brings to the team that they really need is I believe that in return for having George on the team, Mercedes gives them sizable discounts on their engines. Yes. And as long as Mercedes gets to dictate a seat on the team, Williams maintains that favorable pricing. And it would have been stupid to get rid of him for that reason alone. Exactly. Exactly. Now, did you... So, in this past week's race at Emola, Mm -hmm. George was... He was sitting around 11th-ish... And under the safety car, he crashed. Yeah, and he's kicking himself for that. Well, so when the cameras panned over and saw him sitting up against the fence, mm-hmm. and I saw the marshal walk over, I had wondered, had was he? They were they thinking he was hurt? Mm-hmm. Um, and they were at, and he was shaking him off and and shooing him away, and um, then. It you, you kind of watch the body language, and he was breathing real heavy. You could watch his chest moving. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, I wonder if he, like, you know, knocked the wind out of himself or something. Mm-hmm. He hurt himself. And you watched the body language, and they're talking about it a little bit. And then my heart just sunk because then he slapped his, his knee, and he, it was like, put his helmet in his hands. And it was like, it was so close. Then you hurt for him. Mm-hmm. You just hurt. This is a kid who has out-qualified his teammate every Grand Prix he's raced in. And not not just that, but compared to the other two rookies, or, or well, they're not rookies, the other two drivers who started in Formula One the same time that he did and were... Um, celebrated as much as he was because I think Giovinazzi nobody really paid any attention to. Um, he's the only one who hasn't scored a point of those three or been on a podium mm-hmm. of those three. I mean, you hurt for him. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that he's got another year with Williams. I'm glad he's got a seat. I hope that there's a team that can give him a car that can do something because I think he could do something if he had the right car. I I still wonder if he's being held in the wings 
for when Lewis retires. Mm, possible. Either Lewis retires or Mercedes says, and, and honestly, after this year, I don't think they should. Mercedes says we're not going to give Valtteri another one-year contract. Again, especially this year when Valtteri is in second place and he is pushing Lewis, Mm -hmm. I I, I don't think Mercedes has a right to turn around and say something like that to Valtteri. But at some point, one of those two dominoes is going to happen. And then I think George is going to get the call. I hope so. I hope so, because I really, really would love to see what George can do in a car that yeah. can go. Yeah. Um, so this weekend, Mercedes clinched a record-breaking seventh consecutive Constructors' Championships. Yes. You got nothing to go with that? I, I don't know what else you can say for that. They have utterly dominated this era of Formula One. Full stop. Period. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and they're going to have a double title again because Verstappen is no longer mathematically possible to win the title yeah. for a world championship. Therefore, it leaves it only at uh, Valtteri and Lewis. Yep. And quite frankly, Lewis is going to win it. Yeah, I mean, I mean, there's... At this point, I think Valtteri is only mathematically capable of winning it. Mm-hmm. And it's more likely that Lewis will, will win it next race. Okay. Two weeks. In Turkey. Mm-hmm. That'd be interesting. Yeah. Now, that said, Lewis doesn't have a contract for next year. He does not have a contract for next year. Now, Mercedes has, has already come out and said that when Lewis wants to come and talk to us about a contract... It would be a technicality to get it renewed. Mm-hmm. That said, after the race today, and apparently he was saying this in the post-race press conferences because we did not see this in any of the video that that was shown in the States. Um, Lewis, and, and specifically he was asked about, um, a, to opinion about Toto's future. Mm. Because... Toto was also talking more about changing his role within the organization, within Mercedes as a whole, um, and changing his role and potentially stepping back at, from the team principal role. Well, Lewis was asked about that, and Lewis responded and said, I don't even know if I'm going to be here next year, so it's not really a concern for me at the moment. We have a lot of deep conversations, Toto and I, so I'm very aware of where he is mentally, and we share a lot and carry a lot of the weight together, I think. I've been here a long, long time. I can definitely understand wanting to pull back a little bit and giving more time to family and those sorts of things. Yeah. Now, he did go on about his future when he was asked if there was a real chance that he wouldn't be racing in Formula One next year. Lewis said, well, we're in November, and I'm still, it's crazy that we're, Christmas isn't that far away. Naturally, I feel great. I feel very strong. I feel I can keep going for plenty of months. But you mentioned about Toto and shelf life. There's multiple things that stay on the top of my mind. I would like to be here next year, but there's no guarantee of that for sure. There's a lot that excites me of the outer life, so time will tell. Interesting. Yeah. 
I can't honestly imagine that he would leave before he got his eighth title. That would be my thought. Would would be at the very least he'd want number eight so that he would break all, Michael's record. All the records. Yeah. That'd be my thought. Oh, yeah. Now, when it comes to Toto Wolf, Toto has said this weekend that with the contract expiring at the end of the year, he is in talks with Daimler, um, but he is on the lookout for a success for a successor, and um, that he, while he intends to be staying on at Mer- Mercedes. It could be potentially in, quote, another function such as CEO or chairman. Interesting. Yeah. He also says that he already has an idea of who his successor would be at the team. Now, I've been wanting to ask you since I read this article. Mm -hmm. I know that you've been on the phone a lot lately. Have. And... You are a highly successful team leader. I'll, I'll go with successful. I mean, you know, I, I, I do tend to grade on a curve and I don't want to be too full of myself. So I'll, I'll go with successful and not highly successful. Well, okay. but Better than average. How's that? But again, that modesty that you're displaying is a key part of highly successful team leaders. Okay. And I know people that have worked on teams under you, and they say that you are a very good team leader. So with all of these special phone calls that you've been having, and the doors to the nerve center of our house has been closed. Yeah. Are you talking to Toto? So, so I've been talking to, to some people. Um, You, you know... I, I'm trying to get the, the general feel. James Allison and I, really good guy. But but we've been he's, talking. He's a good a, guy, he, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> we've been talking quite a bit because I really respect his opinion in this area. Um, and, and I've been talking to Toto about, you know, James and his expertise. Because honestly, I, I think James would probably be better suited at it than me, but I would happily go and step into James's role so that James could take over as team principal. I think that would be a really good combination. So that is really where I am leaning to, but not the team principal role. I, I, I would rather James Allison take it. I think he's going to be much better at it. So technical director? Yes. You're technical nothing. <laughs> <laughs> you got no technical skills. You know it, that, right? It, it, it's about as strong as your super license. Hey, I used <laughs> a black Sharpie. I used a whole black Sharpie on it. I made it super. Anyway. Okay. So our last story. Yes. Um, Because we've been talking on and off about the race um, through this. I'm, I'm not going to really go into it too much. There was um, a race. It was an animal. It was beautiful. There's people's back gardens next to the track. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. There. I've done the race. I've done the Pro- race summary. I, I think it was a better race than Monza. Uh, than many of Monza's. It, I think it was. Um, the one thing I will call out in the race is that after how many different safety car issues that Lewis has had, mm-hmm. he had the like 
absolutely perfect timing, whether he was on the right spot at the in the track when that virtual safety car came up, that he was able to hit the pits in just that right moment, and the virtual safety car went off as soon as he was exiting the, the pits. I mean, it was it was as if he orchestrated it. It was so gorgeous. The, the one thing that I will say about this, should we get Imola back onto the calendar and onto the calendar in a normal year and what we have seen in the past... If you think the Tafosi are off the hook at Monza, keep in mind, Imola is less than 90 minutes away from Maranello. I know. <laughs> I can't imagine. If you thought they were off the hook in Monza, it, Imola is going to be insane. We got to get Imola back. <laughs> I just want to see. It doesn't have to be every year. Yeah. It doesn't. And I think that that's the only way that we're going to have a lot of different tracks is if we stop doing them every year. All right. So next year they've announced a provisional calendar. Well, they have. I can't quite figure out how this has come out because they don't have the full detailed rundown of the calendar like we have gotten in the past. We do know that... um, some sort of calendar has been at least released to the teams, not fully to the public, but they've announced that they an intention for 23 races next year. Oh, my. Um, we also know that um, Saudi Arabia, they want to have a race. Okay. Next year. Okay. Uh-huh. Um the season should start in Australia on March 21st, uh, followed by Bahrain a week later, uh, a two-week gap before the Chinese Grand Prix on April 11th, and then Vietnam to be held two weeks after that. Um, Zanvoort is expected to shift from, or if you remember, if, if the calendar had gone through like it was supposed to this year, the European season was supposed to start with Zanvoort and then go to Barcelona. Zanvoort's actually going to get moved to the to the fall. I don't mm. know exactly when, but it's going to the fall. Um, it's going to be part of a triple... Oh, actually, I'm sorry. We do know when it's going to be. Triple header with the Belgian Grand Prix and Italian Grand Prix after the spring break. Oh, wow. Um, let's see. Azerbaijan is planned to uh, go back to a June slot and be paired with the Canadian Grand Prix again, which I think the teams hate. Yeah. Because if I remember correctly, it's like 29 hours of travel to go from Montreal to, to Baku. Oh, my. Um, looks like that there'll be another triple header for Singapore, Russia, and Japan. Um, and there, the expectation is that there's going to be four triple headers including of nine races in 11 weeks to start the season. Wow. Yeah. It looks like right now the Saudi Arabia race is going to be a street race in Jeddah, uh, but there may be plans to construct a new circuit on the outskirts of Riyadh in the future. Um, Amnesty International is not particularly happy that Formula One is considering going to Riyadh. Um, also the expectation next year that 
the series would move to Rio, even though we know that a track hasn't been built and there's ecological concerns about the site where they want to put the track. Um, that's potentially on the calendar as well. I don't know. I'm, I'm expecting that Rio, if it goes on the calendar, it's, it's going to be provisional and then get pulled off. Um, because if they're not building that circuit now, it's not going to be ready. I can't imagine. I can't imagine how they could do that in less than a year. Yeah. Now, my understanding is the circuit that they're going to put Formula One at, at least some extent, is going to be what was partially built for Formula E. Because Formula E has hosted some races there. Hmm. But those circuits tend to be shorter, so there's got to be more coming there. I don't know. Okay. On that... And keep in mind, we have no idea if that calendar is even going to go off because of all of the other international pandemic issues. Yeah. Um, So on that, I think we have to call it a show. We'll call it a show. We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. A little break? Okay. Whew.